Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to today's episode of Myeloma Crowd Radio, a show that connects patients with myeloma researchers. I'm your host, Jenny Alstrom, and we'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Caria Farm Therapeutics, for their support of Myeloma Crowd Radio and this episode. Now, I would say one of the most common set of questions we get from myeloma patients that we support uh, as we've um, administered our different myeloma crowd programs include the use of alternative and complementary therapies. Every patient wants to know what they can do um, in addition to their myeloma care to help them get better outcomes and how to improve their quality of life. So we all we all want to know that as patients. I remember some of the first discussions I ever had with my doctor were, what should I be eating? You know, what should I change about my diet? Uh, or are there things that I can be doing? Now today we have with us um, my, two myeloma experts who are performing research on such topics. And we are very excited to host Dr. Christina Gowan and Dr. Onyema Okolo from the University of Arizona. Um, welcome, doctors. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. We're so excited to be here. Thank you so much to the Myeloma Crowd Radio and all you do. We really appreciate it. And we are really, um, I know patients are very excited to hear what you have to say today. But before we get started and jump into questions, uh, let me introduce you both. Dr. Christina Gowan is Assistant Professor of Medicine and Practicing Myeloma Specialist at the University of Arizona Cancer Center and performed her fellowship at the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. And Dr. Gowan is doing extensive research on the use of alternative and complementary therapies in multiple myeloma. Um, Dr. Okolo is performing her hematology and oncology fellowship at the University of Arizona Medical Center in Tucson under the direction of Dr. Gowan, and she has won the Arnold P. Gold Humanism Honor Society and White Coat Award nominee. Um, she also belongs to ASH ASCO and the African Organization for Research and Training in Cancer. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the questions, and I'll let you two um, decide who's going to answer the question, or maybe both. But maybe you want to start with a broad definition of what is considered an alternative therapy. I've heard this kind of formal definition of complementary and alternative medicine, I guess, or they call it CAM for short. But what what actually is it? Yeah, thank you for that. So I would say that as a community now, we're really moving towards the term of integrative medicine. And, and what integrative medicine is, it's really the best that Western medicine has to offer is precision-based medicine, all of our wonderful therapies, NCC and guidelines. But then we're using kind of the ages of, of wisdom from other cultures, lifestyle medicine, botanicals, all together really to aim at improving outcomes, improving quality of life. Um, and we actually, we now have a society and that's called the Society of Integrative Oncology. 
And they actually came together in 2017 and came up with a robust definition of what integrative oncology is. And they did this via survey-based analysis and actually came together on kind of a, a really uh, structured way to formulate this definition. So I'll read that to you. Integrative oncology is a patient-centered, evidence-informed field of cancer care that utilizes mind and body practices, natural products, and lifestyle modification from different traditions alongside, and this is the key, it's really alongside conventional cancer treatments, and that's where it differs from alternative medicine. Uh, Integrative oncology aims to optimize health quality of life and clinical outcomes across the cancer care continuum to empower people. And I think that's really the strength of integrative medicine is it really empowers people to prevent cancer and to become active participants before, during, and beyond their cancer treatment. And so that's kind of the accepted definition of what integrative oncology is at this time. Well, thank you for that definition because I think sometimes patients hear all time types of different terms and they're kind of not sure. And I know some patients have reached out and said, what can I use instead of conventional therapy? But, um, you know, and, and I love the fact that it's evidence-informed, what you said is so key. So you're bringing this all together, and I think that's really, truly amazing and should be done more in oncology. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So and how really do the, the two best of you, outcomes are? No. Oh, go ahead. Oh, the best outcomes are really when when you get both the best of both worlds, right? And so it's whenever patients come to me, like the scenario you had said, and said, "What can I do instead of?" I really try to convince them that, "Oh no, it's not instead of. It's in in addition to. What can we do to make this more tolerable for you, so you can get the best of both worlds?" Well, also, I think your point about empowered patients is really key because it's not fun to have to go through cancer treatment at any level, but there are things and ways that you can change that experience for yourself. And if you feel like there are certain things that you can do to improve your quality of life, to increase the speed at which you recover, or or to strengthen your immune system you know, in between treatments or even during treatments, these are really important things that a patient can feel like, okay, I have this thing I'm dealing with, but I still can, you know, live my life in a really great way and, and, and be in control of my life. I could exactly. Yeah. I think um, you, you know, hit the, the nail on the head there because unlike other sort of health problems where the patient kind of is in the driver's seat as far as, you know, I have diabetes, I'm going to choose to lower my ANC by working on my diet and taking my insulin and things like that. When you enter the realm of cancer, it's mostly the oncologist that's in the driver's seat. And so many patients don't no longer feel empowered and, and end up kind of seeking other methods to empower themselves. And I think integrative medicine and integrative oncology really does emphasize the partnership between the oncologist and the patient. Yeah, I think that's a really critical, it is about key um, shared decision-making and it is about working together as a team. And sometimes um, patients, it's it depends on the person's personality. You know, some people are more forceful and self-directed, and some people are more 
um, accommodating, I think, and um, it's just important to, to take charge of that, of what you can, and it makes you feel happier. Um, I'm just curious about how, how you both became interested in this topic because I think in many clinics there's not a lot of expertise on this topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. You know, it always resonated with me. You know, my, my whole philosophy of wellness, even as a med student and, you know, a resident and fellow, was you really have to look at the whole person. And so it's not just about, you know, taking that medicine. It's about taking care of the self and all the domains of the self. And so, um, but I immediately was drawn to osteopathic medicine, integrative medicine. I knew that that was going to be a part of my practice moving forward. And then as I was a fellow, particularly in oncology, you could just see the patient's desire. Again, they wanted that that piece to empower their own path. Um, They wanted more data. Um, and then there's this unmet need as well as we have these wonderful cancer therapeutics and they're phenomenally effective against cancer, but unfortunately the quality of life is still suffering. And so that's where the beauty again of integrative medicine lies is that it can help to fulfill that unmet need. And so uh, it's, it's been a long journey for me, but I always know that that was going to be a piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Colo, how about you? So um, I wasn't born in the U.S., and so cultural practices, especially um, the differences in medical care um, as far as different cultures, has always been interesting to me. I wanted to learn the best way to care for myself, optimize my health, but also kind of honor my, you know, my immigrant heritage and my culture there didn't really seem to be a lot of room for that just in conventional medicine. It was mostly, you know, treating an illness, take this medicine. And so on my own, I kind of began, like Dr. Gowan, incorporating different cultural aspects to my wellness and and taking charge of my, my, my life in that manner. And when I started med school and then started um, residency, I started to find that preventive medicine was something that was very important to me. And when I started working with cancer patients, I found that, you know, the fear of things like recurrence or what could I have done or what can I do now, those questions always came up. And I'm, I'm lucky in that I ended up at the University of Arizona, um, which is kind of the grandfather institution for integrative medicine. And so I was able to start an integrative medicine fellowship here. And if you want to call it kismet is, you know, where I met Dr. Gowan and she became my mentor. And so for me, it almost seemed like this has always been the path for me. There was kind of no resistance in moving towards this direction. So I've been really lucky in that. Well, we're so happy both of you are studying this because I think we do need more um, more data, I think, around so you can make these evidence-informed decisions of what works and what doesn't. And and I, I don't know, I just think, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, how you're trying to do that. Um, maybe before we jump into different types of, of these integrative medicine therapies, um, can you just identify the outline, just the potential benefits? I mean, there you're talking about people as being a whole person, and I love that you're thinking about it like that. Um, how does that 
affect you in, in what types of ways um, using integrative medicine? And um, can it actually have an impact on, you know, your immune system or, or things that are more measurable, I guess? There are things that are not measurable, or, or I guess they could be in, in different ways. But um, maybe you want to just give us an idea of overarching potential benefits of using integrative medicine that you've seen in your patients. Yeah, you bet. And so I would say, Jenny, that the first thing is, is it's such a personalized approach to each patient. And so the integrative oncology visit that I do, it's separate from my medical myeloma visits. And it's a full hour to 90 minutes that I spend with each patient. And during that time, I take an extensive history about, you know, their lifestyle factors, their stress factors, social factors, spiritual factors, joy factors, and, and what is it that they really want to accomplish together as a team. And I think that so much drives, you know, our goal-making together and what our invent- intervention is together. Um, every patient during that office visit, we kind of go through what I call the four pillars of wellness, which is body, mind, spirit, and joy. And so within the body category, we talk about, you know, the foundation really is Western medicine, the best that we have of our targeted therapies, Um, you know, getting your, you know, what is your fish panel, what are your cytogenetics, you know, how are we using that to tailor your therapies, you know, the best of of that kind of medicine. And then just to step up, we then we talk about lifestyle medicine and what they're doing now and how we can complement that, how are they sleeping. Uh, We dive into botanicals and some patients are taking you know, a laundry list of different supplements and botanicals. And honestly, uh, a lot of times my practice is paring that down. Um, And then others have no interest in botanicals. Uh, We talk Mm -hmm. about touch therapies and how that can really complement the care. And then we talk about mind. uh, And that's really stress reduction. And what we know about uh, stress, is, you know, there's a trigger in the mind, whether that's internal or external, and that triggers hormones to be produced and that from the brain that go to the adrenal cortex and produce this norepinephrine and cortisol, and then that actually impacts the tumor microenvironment. And so, um, you know, we see that viruses are replicating faster, that cancer cells are replicating faster, that there's more blood vessel growth, the immune system is thwarted that there's less natural killer cell activity, there's less of them, they're less active. So that's all the tumor microenvironment that's impacted by stress. And so we spend time identifying stress and, and, and methods that already resonate with the patient on how to release that stress. Because uh, getting into a peaceful, relaxed space is really good medicine. And then we talk about spiritual care. And, again, that's so, so unique to each patient. And just asking what is their practice, you know, if they are not spiritual, are they connected to nature? Because we see that those that have a meaningful connection to something outside of themselves tend to have better outcomes, better quality of life. And then the final pillar is really joy. And joy sometimes is lost, particularly amidst COVID and quarantine, but also a cancer diagnosis. And so trying to find, you know, that that spark of joy and an intention for joy every day is really powerful medicine. And so every patient 
kind of a long answer to your question there, but every patient will gravitate a little bit more or less to each one of those pillars. And so the intervention and the outcome and, and what we measure sometimes is strength, right? You know, you can actually measure that with some of our frailty myeloma index scores, which I have seen go down because higher is worse, um, go down with integrative interventions, particularly physical activity interventions, anti-inflammatory diet. Um, I've actually had a patient who had induction therapy transplant, was on maintenance therapy, didn't tolerate his Revlimid very well, and uh, actually was off therapy for a while when I met him. And he had biochemical relapse, and it, he was very stressed about the whole thing. And I said, well, look, there's no clinical relapse here, and it's, it's a small biochemical relapse, and we just see your M-spike again. Uh, what if we tried integrative intervention? And so for him, you know, we did a kind of that four-pronged approach again, and his M-spike disappeared within two months of therapy. So that was a really, I mean, that's an anecdotal intervention within my practice, and I have a few of those. But, again, that's a measurable outcome. And, you know, would that have happened anyways? We don't know. And which component, this is the complexity of integrative medicine, which component really was the active intervention there, we don't know. But it was impactful. Um, I've had patients with terrible neuropathy, limiting their therapy, and, you know, did um, some integrative interventions, anti-inflammatory diet, omega-3s, turmeric, acupuncture, and then all of a sudden their neuropathy was much better and they were able to get back on, on therapy again. And so um, those, are, those are some kind of examples and kind of a broad structure of how I approach integrative medicine in my clinic. Um, Dr. Kohler, did you have any kind of examples of how you're integrating it in your clinic? I think the first thing is always just letting patients know that it is a subject that is on the table, that it's an open subject and they shouldn't feel restricted as far as having that discussion with you in the first place. Um, I also think specifically for in the myeloma population, you know, it's a, a, a malignancy, a cancer that is especially, you know, impactful and affects um, the immune system and all of the modalities you discussed, the four pillars, all in some way help to, you know, positively affect the immune system. And I think, you know, that's a big buzzword nowadays, especially with, you know, the pandemic going on is, you know, how can we optimize my health in the midst of this disease and increase and improve my immune system? And I think everything you said is, you know, very, very relevant and help, you know, integrate all of these things together. Yeah, COVID hasn't helped, right? <laughs> I mean, it's no. not hard enough <laughs> dealing with multiple myeloma. And then you have COVID oh, on top terrible. of it. And I wish I wish this were everywhere because um, I've been seen by, you know, really top experts at several facilities. And this this idea has never been, you know, offered. <laughs> I would love it. I think it'd be fantastic. So I wish this were everywhere at every facility. And I think patients at the end might be asking you if you do telemedicine visits, <laughs> the two of you. But, um, we do. <laughs> to, yeah, <laughs> to do that. I think that'd be really awesome. But anyway, that's a, it's a great, I love the four pillars and how you're thinking about it. 
um, and how you're thinking about like what's lacking or what you can add to each one um, and do that personally. And I love that it's a separate appointment that you have when you're not just talking about, you know, what myeloma treatment are you on and, and what's your M protein level or your capuchins or whatever, your light chain numbers, exactly. which is also important, equally as important, right? So, yeah. yeah, and I find that having great. that separate space, really, it opens the discussion up into a whole new new way. And so patients just, you know, soften and open when it's really under the umbrella of integrative medicine. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do think that separate appointment is, is very useful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it'd be fantastic for everybody. Well, let's jump in and talk about different types of integrative medicine and they seem to fall in certain categories. And maybe you can just share what um, types of resources are available, how they're used, especially in my, with myeloma patients, um, where you're seeing things be benefic- the most beneficial or, or not, and um, go through some of these things. And then I would just have everyone listening be thinking of questions you might want to ask. At the end of the show, we'll have... Um, some Q&A time, and when you have that time, you can press the one on your keypad, and then I'll know you have a question um, for, the, for the doctors. So let's talk about, I guess, first uh, fitness types of approaches, yoga or, or just general exercise or things like Tai Chi or things that are, I guess, physical in nature. Um, what are Definitely. the resources that you, you have used or find most effective? So, first of all, I want to say, you know, maintaining physical fitness is not only feasible in patients with cancer, you know, including those actively receiving chemotherapy, it's actually been shown to be beneficial and improve clinical outcomes. So, this can be, you know, something as simple, well, not simple, but something like maintaining a healthy BMI, which is, you know, inversely associated with all-cause mortality. What that means is that so better outcomes for those who start off healthier, which makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Something that was really good this year, um, this year's um, American Society of Clinical Oncology uh, Scientific Program annual meeting featured a lot of research and poster presentations um, showing the impact of exercise in our patient population. And over the years, I've noticed that these kind of research are becoming, you know, more and more prevalent because we are recognizing how important it is. You know, fitness regimens can and should include things like aerobic exercise, meditative movements. Um, For example, aerobic exercise specifically has been shown to decrease fatigue, um, maintain VO2 peak, um, allows our patients to return to regular life faster, and generally um, also patient-reported improvement in just quality of life. So that is just a baseline of just trying to maintain your physicality um, while you are dealing with a malignancy, Um, and that's with no medications, just already putting yourself ahead of the game. Things like yoga, um, use breath control, meditation, um, specific physical postures, these Um, Yoga has been shown to lower anxiety levels and stress, helps improve sleep, reduce fatigue. And if you can imagine when you're dealing with myeloma, 
if you're having increased anxiety and you're not sleeping and you're fatigued, you're not going to feel good even when you are getting your treatment. So the improvement in quality of life cannot be um, overstated. Um, other things like Tai Chi and Qigong, which are related mind and body practices similar to yoga, um, are particularly great in um, things like improving balance and stability. And some research has actually shown that Tai Chi can increase um, T cell activity. Our T cells hmm. are the cells that kind wow. of help with our immunity and um, by possibly decreasing inflammatory responses. So there's just so much when it comes to the physicality, um, the physical movement that you can do when dealing with with malignancy and myeloma. Um, so that's, that's physical. We can, you know, discuss things like just meditation. So you can sometimes feel that if you're just sitting there meditating, you may not be doing much, but you essentially when you're doing something like um, like a guided meditation, which is when you kind of have a coach, which is, you know, either video or sound or music um, to help you through your meditation practice, um, we have data that shows reduced anxiety, um, providing better mental clarity. Um, it's also been shown some moderate pain symptoms, um, reduce frequency of negative thinking and decrease insomnia and increase general feelings of well-being, which is everything we want when, you know, we're, we're taking care of our patients. We want, you know, the best possible scenario while, you know, dealing with, with cancer. So um, guided meditation and um, mindful breathing um, one such method I practice is uh, called the 478 breathing technique, and Dr. Gowan and I have done this in clinic, you know, to recenter, you know, several times during the day. It's um, a breathing technique when you, you know, exhale completely through your mouth, inhale through the nose for a count of four, hold that breath for a count of seven, exhale through the mouth for a count of eight, you know. And I do this, you know, three to five times in one sitting, and it just refocuses instantly, reduces stress, and it's something that, you know, anyone can do at any point that also has been shown to have just such um, great benefit. Um, so those are kind of more, I would say, well-known or semi-mainstream methods. Um, Dr. Gowan, I didn't know if you wanted to jump in on any of those before we kind of move into talking about things like food and supplements. Sure. So meditative movement, such as yoga and Tai Chi, is actually an area of my research interest. And so I did a clinical trial, uh, two different clinical trials looking at yoga. And yoga actually decreased depression and fatigue levels. And then in our second pilot, we actually measured markers of inflammation uh, using tumor necrosis factor alpha as well as salivary cortisol, both of which were impacted um, with only 10 minutes of the no, 60 minutes of yoga a week. So very little amounts mm. of yoga burden, but quite a bit mm. of benefit there. Um, and then in Tai Chi, um, I think there's just something very unique 
about the, the complement of meditation and body movement. And this is ancient medicine, kind of going back to the definition of, of integrative oncology, right? The, the cultural medicine from the, from the ancient wisdom, um, from Indian medicine, Chinese medicine. So Tai Chi is just centuries old. Um, but I did a pilot when, during my time at Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale looking at Tai Chi Easy intervention, so it's an easy version, during um, autologous bone marrow transplant for multiple myeloma patients. And uh, it was randomized and there was a journaling control. And we had 29 patients. And those that were randomized to the Tai Chi Easy Arm actually had a two-day shorter hospitalization, which was statistically significant, as, as well as less episodes of febrile neutropenia. And so, you know, the, the hypothesis there is that, again, that Tai Chi is actually impacting the immune reconstitution post-transplant. And so I just uh, received a grant to study this further here at the University of Arizona. And I am partnering with uh, Ricky Simpson, who is a fantastic NASA um, exercise physiologist. And he's been looking at myeloma as well, and he found that exercise uh, via a bicycle, so bicycling kind of vigorous exercise, actually changes the natural killer cell type, what we call the phenotype, as well as the activity um, of the natural killer cells uh, post-exercise. So we're going to measure this now in his lab um, with Tai Chi Easy during transplant here at the University of Arizona and looking at um, We'll be looking at immunoglobulin um, levels as well as lymphocyte subsets and natural killer cell activity and phenotype. And then what's really interesting is we know that natural killer cells are so potent against myeloma cells. And so the, the long theory is, is that if we can augment this NK response um, post-transplant with Tai Chi Easy, can we affect myeloma outcomes? So we're going to be doing MRD assessment with adaptive clonoseq um, on all of these patients as well, with a plan to do a larger clinical trial in the future, with that being our endpoint, is, is rates of MRD negativity. So I'm really jazzed about that, that trial. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and I think, there, again, it's such an easy, easy thing to do at home with no risk. Um, it also has been shown in elderly populations to decrease the risk of falls, and so it's great for elderly patients with neuropathy in particular. So why not, right? What an easy tool to be putting in your tool belt. So um, I'm a huge fan of, of Tai Chi. And then, uh, yes, the 478 breathing. I've had many patients who have had significant anxiety, and we're actually on um, – benzodiazepines with these anti-anxiety um, oral medications and have discontinued after routinely practicing this four, seven, eight breathing technique. And so it really is a, a learned response. Once it's practiced, it gets more potent. And so I typically tell patients to wake up in the morning with their four, seven, eight breaths. And then uh, in the evening before going to bed, practicing it again, and then calling upon that breathing technique any time that they feel like they're in that stress response throughout the day, whether it be driving, you know, during a PET scan, receiving their chemotherapy, et cetera. So I do think it's a really powerful, powerful technique. 
Well, I have an incredible amount of um, things I need to go try now, <laughs> and I think uh, so I, I think I need, I think we'll write an article on the four seven eight breathing so patients can kind of learn in more detail like what that's all about, and then um, yes, I I've never I don't know anything about Tai Chi, so now you have me curious about doing that, and I could probably do sixty minutes of yoga a week. Um, just a little shout out too is like we have a we we know how important fitness is for myeloma patients, and so we have this muscles for myeloma challenge going where you can download this Move Spring app and you can um, and you can just track your minutes and then like we have a fun set of prizes that you can do and um, you can do it through the month of September because it's Blood Cancer Awareness Month. So we're oh, trying to do that. our part, I think, to encourage that. But yeah, now I want to go take a Tai Chi class. <laughs> That's fantastic. Great. My work here is um, done. <laughs> no, not yet. We have a lot still to talk about. Um, so other types of therapy, like in your study that you're that you're running that we'll mention uh, in more detail later inside of HealthTree, there's some things that you ask about, uh, like music therapy or laughter therapy or dance or cooking or support groups. Can you talk about those types of therapies as well? For sure. So I will kind of talk about what something else, aside from, you know, physical fitness that is close to my heart, is cooking. I find cooking to be very therapeutic um, in and of itself because you get multiple benefits in one activity. You know, cooking yeah. <laughs> allows you not only to be mindful and present about the ingredients that you're using and the choices you're making about what you put into your body, but it can also be, you know, great um, aromatherapeutic activity. Um, it can be a social activity, you know, in days before, you know, bringing friends and family together so that, you know, you're feeding your body, but you're feeding your soul. And um, diet and nutrition are probably the backbone of integrative medicine. As Dr. Gowan, you know, will agree, I'm sure, you know, one motto that I always tell patients was actually um, – coined by Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, where it says, let food be thy medicine and medicine thy food. So your body is the vehicle that moves you through this life, and you want to be able to withstand the effects of life. And that starts from making sure you have a firm foundation, um, and that starts with healthy food. So I generally advise um, patients to maintain a colorful plate. You know, by that I mean eating foods that aren't beige. <laughs> you know, there's nothing <laughs> right. as beige food. You know, you want vegetables and fruits to be the base of your mealtime. Um, a primarily plant-based diet has been shown to reduce risk of certain cancers and also improve outcomes of patients living with cancer because it helps, you know, reduce chronic inflammation. Um, one very well-studied diet is the Mediterranean diet, and that emphasizes veggies, whole grains, fruits, nuts, olive oil, you know, fish for the omega-3 fatty acids. It also limits things like red meat. So it's not saying you can't have it, just not as much. And also processed meats, which we have data showing that processed meats actually increase the rates of, of cancer. So... Um, when you get your nutrients primarily from your food, it limits the amount of supplements that you need to take. You know, you get your phytonutrients, your ligands, which are from seeds and whole grains, indoles from things like 
kale and Brussels sprouts and carotenoids from tomatoes and carrots and your flavonoids from apples and onions and things like that. So when you have a healthy diet, you're already giving your body all of the supplements that you need, you know. And so that's why Dr. Gowan mentioned, you know, sometimes in her integrative medicine practice, she's these patients that just have a plethora of supplements on their med list, and she actually is able to optimize them and reduce the number of supplements they're taking just by, you know, helping them um, get to a better um, diet and nutrition status. Um, but I do think that supplements tend to be the biggest elephant in the room when it comes for comes to caring for patients in in our population. And I I find that, you know, like I mentioned before, a lot of patients tend to feel powerless when it comes to treating their cancer and they want to be an active participant. And, you know, one such method is through taking supplements. You know, it's important to know that not all supplements are created equally. It's important to look at the labels and ensure you're getting something of quality. Some um, specific uh, quality control um, groups are the USP or the NSF, um, Consumer Lab. So I always encourage patients, you know, who are taking supplements, make sure you are taking supplements of quality. Um, and you also need to be um, honest with your oncologist when using supplements. Some supplements can have negative interactions with your treatment, especially, you know, with the combination of chemotherapies. We know that certain antioxidants like vitamin C and E work against chemotherapy. So we usually will recommend Patients do not take things like that while on active chemotherapy, whereas they can be useful outside of that time frame. Um, so these are just, you know, some examples of how you can, you know, optimize your diet and, and take some supplements. Um, and I think the practice of integrative oncology gives us the knowledge to be able to have these conversations comfortably with our patients. Yeah, that's a really important point that you need to tell your doctor what you're doing um, in terms of supplements or vitamins or things like that. I At my facility, they told me kind of a horror story when I first started getting treatment 10 years ago about a patient who had another type of cancer, but they were giving very heavy chemotherapy and it just wasn't touching it. Like their hair wasn't falling out. They weren't, and they, they were just saying like, this should be really affecting you. It's not at all. So what are you doing? And the patient finally fessed up that they were taking like a ton of noni juice, you know, or like something um, that was actually preventing the chemotherapy from working at all. So they you know, that you need to tell your doctor what you're trying in addition to what they're doing so they can let you know. So that's really interesting about the vitamin C and vitamin E as well. Exactly. And, and Dr. Gowan, did you have any um, anything you wanted to share about the other types of therapy like support groups or the music or laughter therapy and, and things like that before we um, review your opinions about vitamins and supplements? Uh, well, sure. I think, you know, this is where it's so important, again, to really know your patient, know what therapies really resonate with them, right? And so, you know, if they are a music teacher, 
or play the piano, then clearly that's a therapeutic modality for them and it brings joy. And I think that the, the concept of, of joy is, again, it overlaps with some of these modalities. But anything that makes you feel alive and um, it makes you smile and you really feel like you can drop all of your thoughts from the future and past and be in that present moment is therapeutic for you. And so that's where, you know, is it music, is it dance, you know, even for laughter, you know, what makes it for you? And so that's what I I ask patients. And um, we, sometimes it's hard and they have to go deep as far as, you know, decades back sometimes to really find those, those slivers of pieces of what used to be their identity that maybe they had slowly lost throughout the years, but just trying to rediscover those and nurture them, I think is medicine. And that includes all of those modalities and more, right? Um, Laughter is a really fun one. We actually did a laughter um, intervention during a Leukemia Lymphoma uh, Society event that we sponsored here at U of A last year. And this woman came in, and she made us, she made us literally laugh out loud in, in response to various things for 30 seconds up to a minute. And it just it, it changed the whole vibration of the room. These patients just loved it. And so I, I do think that there's something uh, to laughter therapy and laugh, uh, laughter therapists, and that is a thing. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and all of us will benefit from laughter, right? And so even if it's a funny movie. Um, acupuncture. I did want to – I wanted to hit on acupuncture because I really find this beneficial. Um, and the, the data is definitely maturing, and in particular for multiple myeloma, there's not that much out there. But there is quite a bit out there with some other disease types, particularly breast cancer. Um, there's actually a randomized controlled trial of patients who have breast cancer and they're receiving a, a hormone inhibitor um, plus acupuncture uh, versus the hormone inhibitor alone. And patients had significantly improved quality of life and tolerance to their medication with concurrent therapy. And so I usually recommend at least a trial of acupuncture. I think it helps with fatigue, sleep, neuropathy, uh, depressive symptoms, et cetera, uh, smoking cessation. Um, but there are responders and non-responders. And so I usually recommend patients, if they're game and they're interested to do this, is to, to find a, a local practitioner which they trust usually within the cancer center if possible, because there are some parameters that need to be looked out for, such as, you know, what is the absolute neutrophil count? Is the immune system uh, robust enough? What are the platelets? Those kind of things. They need to be trained to look at those things. Um, But I do think it's it's helpful. And a good trial, in my opinion, is, is weekly for a period of four weeks to see if there's benefit. And then I also say that there is uh, differences amongst practitioners. There's all different types of styles. So um, it, sometimes it takes a, different, a couple different practitioners to really get your optimal response with acupuncture. Um, there was a summit that was held, I think it was 2016, um, at the NCI. And they had 19 different researchers um, and clinicians come together with some level of expertise within uh, acupuncture and Chinese medicine and kind of talked about the role of acupuncture within cancer care. And first they looked at safety, and the outcome was, yes, it was a safe procedure, but, again, it should be um, 
overseen by a practitioner who has some experience with oncology patients. And then the other thing they looked at was efficacy. And efficacy was strongest for pain intervention, for fatigue, and then those with refractory nausea and vomiting. So I think in particular for patients that are struggling with those particular symptoms, that acupuncture could be uh, very beneficial. Uh, I think Dr. Arcola did a beautiful job describing, you know, diet. Uh, the Mediterranean diet is definitely the most robust data that we have for dietary intervention, which is coming primarily from our cardiovascular research. But we do see that there's decreased cardiovascular events and deaths with a Mediterranean-based diet. And it actually, the risk goes down with the more Mediterranean components that you eat within throughout the week. Um, and olive oil uh, tends to be a very anti-inflammatory fat. So with more olive oil supplementation, the risk of cardiovascular death actually went down. And that's within the, it's called the PREDIMED study. Um, and so I, I base a lot of my recommendations off of, of the Mediterranean diet. And the University of Arizona actually has their own little twist on that, and they call it the anti-inflammatory diet. And they add a few components to it, some Asian mushrooms um, and herbs and things. But in general, it's pretty Mediterranean-based. Well, that's fantastic. And, and it's good food. Like, it's fun to eat. <laughs> so uh, I think we <laughs> need a good. little more help. Yeah. Uh, I'm knowing, like, what is that and, and yeah, I think maybe we'll include some things on the website if you want to forward some resources to us. Uh, and we'll ask a little bit about resources at the very end of the show. But um, So patients know where to go to try to find this information. Let's talk a little bit about supplements. You hear in myeloma a lot about um, turmeric or curcumin. Do you want to address that? Because I know a lot of patients will have questions about that particular supplement. And then... I've heard other things like turkey tail or like other things. Have you found any particular supplements that are helpful in myeloma that patients should consider? Yeah. Curcumin is, is such a hot topic right now. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right. And, you know, I, I knew this question was coming, and so I actually did an <laughs> updated PubMed search and just to see how many hits there were. Um, and so if you go to, you know, PubMed, which is kind of our literature base in, in medicine, and you put in curcumin and myeloma, you have 62 studies that pop up now. So there's definitely a, a lot of ongoing research, and there's a lot of different variants that you could – I'm sure there's much more out there. Um, but curcumin is basically the active ingredient from an ancient Indian spice uh, uh, turmeric. It's that bright orange color that you get from, like, curries and things, yellow curries. Um, and it's, it really displays this kind of wide range of biological activities. It's an antioxidant. It's an anti-inflammatory. It's been shown to be cytotoxic or kill cells and numerous cancer cell types. Um, within myeloma, there's suggestion that it's changing the expression of cerebellum, which the gene, which actually is modulated by drugs like lenalidomide, pomalidomide. Um, there's many mouse models and cell line data looking at cytotoxic impacts of curcumin. Um, there's been, again, looking within cell lines and mouse models, but some synergy that can occur between carfilzomib and curcumin which is really interesting. 
Um, and then it, it down-regulates one of these really active pathways that we know is, is upregulated in myeloma signaling, the NF-kappa-B pathway. Um, and this started a long time ago. In fact, uh, one of my predecessors here at the U of A, Agrawal, um, published this in Blood, which is one of our kind of prominent journals in hematology back in 2003. So this, this has been going on for 17 years plus. Um, and I'll say that's, that's kind of frustrating in a way because what we're limited to is still a lot of cell line data and mouse model data. But what we know is that that does not always equal what happens in the body, right? And so in the human body. Um, there's been lots of research, though, in, in different cancer types prostate, breast, colon, et cetera, um, showing a very um, tolerable uh, therapeutic window. So doses up to 10 grams per day did not have significant toxicity, maybe some diarrhea. Um, and I would say most of the clinical trials are anywhere from two to four grams, so much less than that. Um, I do think it's a potent anti-inflammatory. And there's case reports in myeloma uh, using it as a steroid sparing agent, which is so such a hot topic in myeloma because, you know, every regimen is, is brought with this dexamethasone, right? And so, and then dexamethasone is not an inert drug. And as we know, patients are very symptomatic sometimes from their steroid exposure. So if this could be a steroid sparing agent where we could start limiting the amount of dex, um, particularly on those that are, you know, on more aggressive kind of maintenance regimens that maybe include a, a steroid, um, that, that is definitely appealing. Um, and so I think it's, it's really an interesting compound, and I will say that we need more human data. We need randomized controlled trial data, but I do feel that it is, it is safe um, and that I've, I've done my due diligence looking at, uh, it's called the Natural Medicines Database. And so you can put the supplement in and you can put the chemotherapy in, and it does not cross-react with many of, of the multiple myeloma drugs. And so I, I do say that uh, a lot of my patients uh, are interested in this and are utilizing this agent. Okay, great. Thank you so much. For some reason, my phone dropped off. I don't know why, so... I know you were saying great things, and now I don't know what you were saying for the last minute or so. Um, so I apologize. Well, that's too bad because there's a quiz. <laughs> I'll, try to, I'll try to catch up. And now I'm going to have to read the transcript for that part. So, <laughs> no worries. Um, I'm glad you kept talking. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, you were, I'm sure, talking about um, the the supplement topic. Yeah, so... Um, kind of rounded out curcumin. The only other thing I did want to say is that um, they were looking at, there was one study I stumbled upon that was in 2009, so a, a little while ago, but they looked at MGUS and curcumin as, a, as an intervention for those with MGUS and could you, mm -hmm. you know, impact their paraprotein levels with just curcumin and it was four grams per day oral. And um, those that have the higher paraprotein, so M spikes greater than two, had uh, a 50% reduction in their in their M protein. This is a small study, again, 26 patients. So you know, it, it's not power to really kind of show um, causality like that. But it's definitely provocative, and so I found that really interesting. Right. I also saw something that said that curcumin, when we used with Kyprolis or something, was exactly 
could could be effective, right? Yeah, exactly right. But I think the downside of that, again, is it's, it's within cell lines and animal models. And so right. the impact in humans is unknown. And so I think what it does is it, it gives us, as researchers, food for thought that, yes, oh, wow, this could be a potent synergistic agent, and this should be studied in trials. But th- that does not mean that everyone on Kyprolis, you know, gets turmeric in my clinic, right? right? So I'm, a, I'm a little hesitant um, for that. But, um, yeah, we need more research, more funding for this yes. kind of research. <laughs> right. And when you were talking about um, how sometimes you take – patients off certain supplements, um, when do you typically, like, in what scenarios do you do that? Yeah, so it's, it's the patient phenotype that comes in, and they literally have 40 supplements that mm-hmm. they're on. And then there's a lot that tend to be combination products, that there's a lot of overlap. And so, for example, what in particular is, like, vitamin A, Right. And so, you know, I have one patient who had, you know, a little bit of cataracts or something. And so he thought he needed just uber doses of all of these different, you know, combination products. And so his vitamin A dose was off the charts. And so things like that, um, green tea tends to be kind of weaved into in a lot of the combination things. And there's, there's a lot of conflicting data in green tea and myeloma and bortezomib in particular and interfering with efficacy. So that tends to be one I pair back. But just in general, I, I think that my philosophy, going back to what Dr. Okolo was saying, is that food is medicine and that there, there's some beauty to plant medicine and nutritional science that, you know, a supplement is an isolate of one compound, but the plant itself is, is much smarter than we are at this point in science. And there's all these different components that work together synergistically. And so by eating, eating the food, you're getting much more than what a supplement could provide you. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I like what you said, um, Dr. Polo, about food as medicine and not overdoing the supplements and just getting this really healthy diet. So I, I love that. Um, do you, want, do you both want to share? People, oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, you know, it's, I've met a lot of people who take supplements that they just, you know, they see, you know, something about it and they just buy it and take it. I think you have to know why you're taking something. You know, don't just mm-hmm. go out and buy a supplement. And that's part of the education that we also provide, you know, is, okay, so you're taking supplement X. Why, why are you taking that? What made you decide to take it? What are you hoping to get from it? And just simple questions like that can so elucidate a situation for you as far as, you know, what is this particular person concerned about and how can I help them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Do you both want to share the study that you're currently running? And um, we decided to collaborate with you using this HealthTree platform. Uh, But I think patients would like to hear directly from you what you're trying to accomplish and what you hope to to learn. Sure. Um, So we are running research on the utilization of integrative therapies like we've discussed already um, in myeloma patients. It's an investigational study um, that's directed towards patients with known diagnosis of a plasma cell disorder. Um, And our goal is to gather information about general practices and the uses 
of um, integrative medicine methods, um, including but not limited to things like mindfulness, meditation, exercise, use of herbs and supplements, diet, and quality of life. So we ask general demographic questions, you know, age, race, gender. We also ask about the type of plasma cell disorder, so MGUS, myeloma, plasma cytomas, and the stage, as well as medications, you know, conventional medical therapies for the cancer that you've, you've tried in the past. One thing that is particularly important in the survey that I think we asked about is things like medical comorbidities, you know, diabetes, heart disease. Um, all these things that kind of increase a in, uh, person's baseline inflammatory status, you know. And then we dive into specifically integrative medicine questions like symptoms, supplements, acupuncture, homeopathy, you know, your support systems, you know, religion, things like that, you know, prayer. And we're doing all of this because the use of complementary and alternative medicine practices um, poorly described in our patient population. So we want to have this information available for analysis so we can look at correlations and hoping to find, you know, if there's, you know, in these correlations, are we finding decrease in symptom burdens? Are we finding interactions? You know, what are our patients doing and how can we treat them better? So the information we gather from this survey will inform a lot of future research as well. Great. Uh, and you can find this study or participate in this study by going to um, healthtree.org, and then um, you'll find it under the section that talks about accelerating research. And we've already had, I think in 48 hours we had um, a lot of people <laughs> sign up for the study and complete the study. So that was super exciting to um, hear about patient interest in doing that. It's really fantastic. I'm really um, excited to see what we find yeah, out. I know. It's so fun. Um, and we're so happy to be able to, to help facilitate this. We have so many patients that are using the tool already, and this is a way that patients can contribute to your research and help you to come to better conclusions faster, and even develop new hypotheses potentially. So that's why we're so exactly. excited to, to help you do that. Um, I do want to open it up for some caller questions if people have questions. And then um, I want to end with just having you share different resources or places patients can go for this. So I'll just um, start. We, if, you, um, if you would like to ask Dr. Gowan or Dr. Okolo a question, please dial 347-637-2631 and press 1 on your keypad. And um, we'll start with caller at 618-2748. Go ahead with your question. Hi, uh, my name is Tom, and I'm wondering if you might be able to address many multiple myeloma patients. Obviously, uh, pain is a big component, and um, at this point, opioids are used and, and whatever. If you could address um, the, how you might be able to uh, address the pain aspects of the bone pain uh, caused by multiple myeloma. Yeah, great question, Tom. Yes, thank you for that, because I think it's such a, an important topic that I think is pretty universal for our myeloma community. And, 
you know, obviously opiates are there, but it, it's, it's not ideal, right? And so other adjunctive therapies, and I know I talked a little bit about acupuncture before, I do find that to be quite beneficial for pain. Massage therapy, um, adjuncts to the pain, you know, going back to, to Western medicine and, and adjuncts for pain, um, looking at is, is there a neuropathic component, is things like gabapentin, pregabalin or Lyrica, Cymbalta, et cetera. Sometimes even the involvement of a pain management specialist can be helpful. Um, clearly radiotherapy, if there's a focal area of bone pain, radiation can be obviously a very helpful kind of um, a, a focal fix to that area. Um, Mind-body um, therapeutic approaches, mindfulness, that, you know, changing the experience of feeling pain, um, not trying to cover the pain. So that actually could be quite helpful for patients is just doing some mindfulness um, education on how to just experience pain a little bit differently. Um, and then we had talked about some of the anti-inflammatories. Diet can be an anti-inflammatory. Omega-3 fatty acids can actually be a potent anti-inflammatory, can cool down pain, curcumin, um, et cetera. And there's a, another few out there. Um, so I think it's really this multidisciplinary approach to pain, manage, pain management where it's using, again, that Western medical model and then trying to pile on all these uh, complementary therapies to, to promote uh, pain control. Great. I know that's a really common question, so great question, Tom. Um, and thanks for your answer. Uh, okay, our next caller at 895-5370. Go ahead with your question. Hi, Jenny. It's Steve in Florida. Thank you for having this show. I wish it could be five hours. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, doctors, I've been involved in medical education administratively and osteopathic education for 30 years and allopathic education for the last four years. Um, we have a research project underway right now for neuropathy that is in vitro and in vivo. So we're going to be looking for people who may want to participate. So I'll ask Jenny if she could possibly share contact information. I am a support group leader. Our questions that we get generally are neuropathy, sleep, pain, and bone remodeling. So I also have an idea that I've spoken with a, a PharmD naturopath on bone remodeling. But on pain, any thoughts on medical marijuana and CBD oil? Okay, thanks, Steve. Dr. Cole, you want me to answer? You want to take a stab at that one? I do think, you know, the, the data on medical marijuana and CBD oil um, is still emerging, and I do know that patients utilize it and have found benefits. Um, there is a lot of you know, misinformation about, you know, dosage and, you know, purity and, and different standards like that. But I do think that in general, um, I have had experience with patients who uh, utilize CBD oil and find it to be very efficacious for their pain. And so it is something that I think um, should be discussed, but is also something that I have found to be beneficial. And so I think if that works for, for the type of pain that you're having, it can be utilized. I think the most important thing is to try to identify the type of pain though. You know, I think with CBD oil, we do find that it is most effective in things like muscular pain, whereas a lot of our myeloma medications tend to 
you know, cause things like neuropathy. Um, and I, I think um, outside of uh, things like conventional medicines with opiates or, or things like gabapentin, um, acupuncture is also something that I, I recommend um, in, in this patient population for, for symptoms of pain secondary to neuropathy. I'll piggyback up on that, that, you know, I've had a, quite a lot of experience with some topical CBD THC products from my patients that are uh, utilizing medicinal marijuana with good effect. So I do think that, you know, uh, that both CBD ointments and CBD THC formulations can be particularly helpful. Great. Okay. Thanks for the answers. Our next uh, question, 683-1454. Go ahead with your Hi. question. Hi, my name is Anna. How are you guys? Can you We're hear me? Well. Good, Anna. Thank you. Shani, I just want to say thank you. I got diagnosed with MM just six months ago, and your page has been like my lifesaver. So thank you for that. So okay. I just I have a question about exercise. So before I got diagnosed, I was doing like strength training. I'm still like I'm six months in. I just had my bone marrow, and I had great results. My numbers came down to less than 1% of myeloma for my initial KRD treatment. So now I'm going to do two more um, treatments, two more months. Is it okay if I do strength training exercise, or should I just stay away from that and just do walking and stuff like that? Great question, Anna. Thanks. Anna, congratulations on your response, and you're and you're doing phenomenal with your therapy. That's that's great news, and I think it's a really good question. And you know, I think this is a personalized approach. And so, you know, what as a practitioner, what I want to know as your myeloma doctor is, you know, where are your your burdens of your osseous disease? If you have any, are there any weight bearing areas of concern? Are there intertwined trochanteric masses, you know what I mean? So if there's any place that I would be concerned of a pathologic structure, I would encourage more gentle approaches. If that is, if that is not you or anybody else in the audience that doesn't have a significant burden or a concern there, then I would fully encourage strength training. And actually they looked at, at both strength and aerobic and that those that did both in lymphoma actually tolerated their chemotherapy at a higher dose at a higher frequency. So it actually maintained their dose intensity um, by performing both aerobic and strength training. But it, it does have to be a personalized approach and be safe. So I definitely would talk to your myeloma doctor before ever doing, you know, major strength training or any high-impact sports. Right. Mhm. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that a lot, and and I know a lot of people who continue to do strength training with their myeloma. Just you have to be really careful of your bone situation, like you're saying. Okay. Um, we have several more questions, so I know we're going over, but I hope that's okay. Um, if it's not, you let me know, <laughs> and we'll we'll close things up. But um, we have a caller at six four five two seven zero zero. Go ahead with your question. Hi, my name's Nancy. Um, when it comes to strengthening bone, um, if you're already on Zometa like every six months and you're taking vitamin D supplement to give you a level around 50, are there other things that you should be doing for bone other than a good diet, things like vitamin K2 uh, people talk about or boron or, or any of those things, you know, proven or beneficial? 
Great question. Thanks, Nancy. So I think, you know, in general, when it comes to bone strengthening um, modalities, it we have to kind of utilize the same um, beliefs and what we've seen work in, in general medicine outside of the um, myeloma patient population. Like Dr. Gowan mentioned previously, it's really important for us to know the status of your disease and obviously uh, utilization of you know, things like uh, denosumab and zoledronic acid are, are essential, but it also, you know, we strengthen our bone based on physical exercise. And um, as the previous caller mentioned, you know, strength training, you know, these kind of impactful um, exercises actually help our bones grow stronger. And that in and of itself is, is a good place to start. I don't know the, the data on, on things like boron. I don't know if Dr. Gowan you want to discuss on that. Um, but in general, I think if you are able to and cleared from um, for doing exercise by your myeloma doctor, I would focus on strengthening exercises um, to help, you know, with, with bone strength in addition to the conventional things that you are already doing. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I agree. You. Exercise is totally key. Um, in regards to the vitamin K, you know, there's not a lot of downside with the except, exception of if you're on a therapeutic anticoagulant, right? Um, vitamin K, and particularly with Coumadin, can really interfere um, with your INR measurement. And so I know a lot of our patients out there are on some sort of um, anticoagulant, and a lot are still utilizing uh, warfarin or Coumadin. And so that would be a concern against the vitamin K supplementation. Uh, but there is, there is data for that improving bone health, boron, magnesium, all of these different things really kind of work together with vitamin D, calcium, to build that cellular matrix within the bone. So it is all important. But also, you need to keep into account uh, kidney disease with magnesium boron. Um, so I think it's best to work with an integrative provider to look at your integrative case. Um, naturopaths are, are licensed oncology certified naturopaths. They're called Fabnos. They're a great resource. Um, and then or finding an integrative oncologist to kind of help you navigate that. Great. Okay, wonderful answer. Thank you. Okay, caller at 345-2330. Go ahead with your question. Okay, we'll skip that one. Um, 454-7421. Go ahead with your question. Okay, caller at 454-7421. Okay, we'll do one more, 847-5748. Go ahead with your question. Yeah, hi. Uh, I have two quick questions. First, um, there are some um, uh, doctors that, uh, that believe in, in high-dose vitamin C treatment for, uh, for cancer. However, my, uh, my oncologist uh, was very reluctant, uh, thinking that it might interfere with, um, with the um, treatment regimen. And the second question is on diet. Uh, um, besides the Mediterranean diet, how, how uh, harmful is uh, refined sugar? Uh, you know, dessert, uh, sweets. Is how is, is there any? Are there any um, other than the anecdotal? Uh, stay away from it. 
are there any um, you know uh, data uh, scientific data that uh, that show that um, that uh, sweets have a deleterious effect? Great question and very common question, right? You probably hear that question all the time. Uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for the hydro vitamin I, C. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, Dr. Gowan, do you want to take the high-dose vitamin C oh, sure. and I can put on the, on the sugar? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for high-dose vitamin C, so we have no data in myeloma. Um, it is interesting. They're looking at um, pairing um, vitamin C with arsenic and bortezomib. There actually was a recent trial that was, that was done um, in comparison to the bortezomib dexalone, um, and it, it seemed to have some benefit. Um, high, and that was at a lower dose, right, somewhere much less than a gram. And when you're talking about high-dose vitamin C, that really it varies quite a bit according to the integrative practitioner that's prescribing it. And it can range anywhere from 10 grams intravenously all the way to 100 grams. Um, there are risks with infusion, the risks of changes in your what's called the osmotic balance. And so, you know, what's, what's the salt and burden and, and what is your sodium level? Um, it can cause kidney stones. Um, rarely it can change um, and cause hemolysis. But in general, for other cancer types, I would say, not in myeloma, it has been shown to be generally safe at lower doses and impactful for quality of life. Um, the impacts on outcomes is, is still not determined clearly. Um, it is a pretty profound antioxidant at high high-dose levels, um, and it theor theoretically it could go and repair some of the damage that's done um, from some of the chemotherapies. Um, there is some data of interaction with bortezomib, and then theoretically with high-dose melphalan, you know, that's an alkylating agent, which really relies upon DNA damage, and so high-dose vitamin C around that probably isn't a good idea. Um, so in general, I never make the recommendation for it. Uh, because I just don't, I don't know enough about it. Um, anecdotally, um, I have seen patients do it anyway, and um, it, there has not yet been poor outcomes, um, and they, they seem to be tolerating their therapy, therapy quite well. Um, so uh, long story short, we need more evidence, I think, to, to make that blanket recommendation. But if you do choose to do it, that I would do it spaced apart chemotherapy, um, so, you know, on your off week, if possible, and at lower doses. Great. And on the sugar topic? So I think, I think sugar, you know, gets a bad rap, um, especially um, in, in cancer. I don't think it's a simple question of just, you know, if I avoid cancer, am I, I mean, if I avoid sugar, am I going to, you know, positively impact my, my outcome? I think, you know, we have to understand, you know, what is sugar? Sugar comes in a lot of different forms, um, the simplest of which is um, glucose. And a lot, all of our cells, including uh, cancer cells, use glucose. That is our primary uh, fuel source. Um, for our cells, and glucose comes from, you know, things like um, fruits and vegetables and carbohydrates, um, especially the refined carbohydrates 
um, things like breads and pastas. And that's basically all our food. And it's kind of impossible to just avoid sugar and think, you know, that it will, um, avoiding it helps negate the, the growth of, of cancer cells. Um, I think in general, maintaining, you know, all of this goes back to maintaining a healthy diet, um, primarily plant-based, um, the kind of inflammatory, anti-inflammatory diet, you know, is of benefit in general. It is of benefit for those with cancer, of those without cancer. And this is because we are giving our bodies all of the nutrients that we need while avoiding these kind of refined or limiting these refined sugars, these carbohydrates, because in general, they will cause other syndromes, you know, um, things like uh, higher inflammatory states and, and diabetes and dyslipidemia. And so I don't think, you know, you would be doing yourself any specific service by cutting off sugar. I prefer to think of it more as doing yourself a service of optimizing your diet and focusing on the nutrients that um, have been shown to have positive effects, you know, in patients um, with cancer, if, if that makes sense. No, I think that's a great way of thinking about it because you're thinking about what you need to eat and what not what you don't need to eat. Like, am I getting enough vegetables? Am I getting enough fruit? And then once you eat all that, then you're pretty full. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I like what you said. It does promote inflammation, though, so I think that needs to be kept in mind. And so what I do tell my patients is a 90-10 rule. So 90% of the time, eat what you know is good for you, and then 10% be human and indulge, and that's okay. Um, I do think it should be discussed the this Warburg effect in cancer that, you know, our cancer cells do not have the uh, ability to change the way they metabolize and get energy, and they are dependent only on glucose. And so that's where, if you've heard about, you know, ketogenic diets and cancer, the idea is it's depending on this Warburg effect where if you only have ketones floating in your bloodstream for food, cancer cells are starved. And there's, there's nothing really out there for ketogenic diet and myeloma yet. I think that's coming. Um, but there's ongoing, I mean, in almost every disease, um, ketogenic diet um, trials going on because it's just such a provocative question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's been the challenge, right? Finding enough data that you can make, um, you know, evidence-based just treatment decisions or recommendations even about what you should do. So that's why I think this study that you're running is a great start for, for that. And uh, we'd be happy to help you in, in any way come to these answers because patients really want to know, and this is something that patients can do. So uh, Dr. Gallon and Dr. Cole, we've kept you way over time, but I just so appreciate everything you've shared with us today. Uh, the work you're doing is really wonderful and um super exciting for patients. So thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having us and and partnering on our study. We just appreciate everything you do for research and for patients. You provide a wonderful resource. So thank you. 
Well, thank you. And just thank you to all our listeners. Thank you for caring enough about your own care to know how you can optimize it. Um, we really appreciate you listening to My Little Crowd Radio, and um, we encourage you to tune in next time to learn more about the latest in my little research and what it means for you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.